Homestyle Green, Episode 89. How much does Homestar cost? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast all about inspiring people to make a better place to live. I'm Matthew Cutler-Welsh, the host of the show, and you are probably someone who is either interested in making your own home better, maybe that's an existing home that you're trying to renovate or remodel or upgrade, or perhaps you're looking at designing a new home from scratch, your dream home that's going to be environmentally friendly, energy efficient, and just all around a good place to be. Or perhaps you're a designer or a architect or builder who would like to either make your products generally better or have got a client or some clients who are interested in making better homes than standard because I believe that we need to do a lot more of that wherever you are and uh, that's a common theme in this show as we talk about the fact that we have a lot more in common all around the world with respect to our housing than we do in difference now this week on the show I'm going to talk about Homestar and I'm going to I have discussed Homestar briefly in the past but I'm going to focus on costs and going to go through a bit of a four-step process of how to get a good house using the Homestar rating tool. Before we do that though a couple of uh, quick notices uh, once again I'd like to really thank Nudora. Now I got back in touch with um, Chevy and we've had we haven't actually had Chevy on the show but when I interviewed the CEO of Nudora from Canada, I spent quite a long time on Skype with Chevy beforehand, and we've had, we've kept in touch uh, um, quite a bit since then, actually, because I'm really inspired by Chevy's enthusiasm for the product and and just her desire to help people create uh, better homes and better buildings in general. And I've also had the pleasure to meet Jeremy, uh, Chevy's partner, and they are doing amazing stuff down in Christchurch and also in Auckland. And they are the people to see if you are interested in a new, well, it's not really that new, but it's a different way of creating a home that is warm, dry, comfortable, quiet, and it's pretty quick and topical uh, with regards to today's show is actually not that expensive to build. Um, and we're going to talk a little about cost and, and what costs mean because it's not just the initial buy price that's important. And sure, if you're comparing one product to another product, then so, then one might appear to be more expensive, but that's only just a, a, a small part of the story. You've also got to look at the cost of labor and how long it takes to build. And then, of course, that's just the start of the building. The real building comes to life once people go into that building and start using it. And that's where we've got to really focus on the costs of having a building and having a home that we're paying for, not just with our money, but paying for with our health and, and with our, our emotion and our um, connectivity with that place as well. Might be getting a little bit woo-woo there, but uh, that's all part of the bigger equation of the bigger picture. So anyway, um, Nadora are sponsors of Homestyle Green, and I really appreciate their support. Head on over and show your support if you are at all interested in looking at what they can do for you, whether it's just improving your uh, insulation around your foundation, your concrete slab, 
Or why not just carry it on all the way up and, and build your walls out of their insulated concrete form system? And if you do, tell them I sent you. Alrighty, uh, just a quick note as well. I've had some great responses. I've got a survey up online. If you're listening to this before the 14th of November 2014, then do head on over to the website homestylegreen.com slash survey. And there's a very quick survey you can do there. I'd love to get some of your feedback and thoughts about some of the issues that you might have going on either with your own build or your clients that you have. And uh, I'm going to pick a winner from that uh, randomly. And you will go into the draw if you complete that and pop your email address in to go into the draw for a $20 Amazon voucher. So um, head on over there, homestylegreen.com slash survey. Now, how much does Homestar cost? Now, while I was making some notes on this topic, I was reminded of similar questions that I've asked people that have been on the show. Going right back to episode 18, I interviewed Richard Buchanan from the UK. And well, it's not Homestar, but a very common, a very similar concept of building to their Code 3 or 4. And he explained how um, they've come up with a way to essentially do that at no extra cost up front. Then a few episodes later, in episode 23, I spoke to Sean Taylor from uh, EZ, or um, she was at Green Being, but now now at, uh, I think she's got her own company, actually. I'll put a link to Sean Taylor and what she's up to down in Queenstown. But a similar kind of concept when I asked her about the cost of building a or designing an energy-efficient home in that you start with the end in mind. And that was very eloquently put by Elrond Burrell uh, a few episodes later again, episode 30, when we were talking about Passive House. And he is definitely the man to go and read or listen to anything you want to know about Passive House. Um, I interviewed Elrond in uh, episode 30, and it's probably a good time to get him back on the show. He's actually coming back to New Zealand to speak about Passive House in February 2015. But I asked him the same question about how much does it cost to be energy efficient. And basically what Elrond said was that it it's a, a re, kind of redundant question because a house is going to cost whatever the budget is to build that house. So you start with the end in mind and that should be your main consideration. So we're going to come back around to that, but let's start with what Homestar is. So, and I probably should give a, for those that don't know my background, it's a little bit of a um, disclaimer, I guess. I spent three years working on Homestar, so I have a fairly good understanding of how it all fits together and also some of the challenges in, in marketing a, a voluntary rating system like Homestar. I no longer work at the New Zealand Green Building Council, but I do have an affiliation with Homestar because I am a Homestar assessor. And more importantly, I passionately believe in making homes better. And I think tools like Homestar are a great way to create a framework for doing that 
because essentially what Homestar is is a it's a comprehensive environmental rating tool with the technical terminology. But basically, I like to think of it as a definition of what sustainability is. Because that's kind of what we all want in our houses. When we talk about eco-design or energy efficiency, we want we want lots of specific stuff. But philosophically, and, and, and the principle is that we, we, want, we want our houses to be more sustainable. But what does that mean? And it, it kind of requires things like Homestar, Greenstar, LEED, Code for Sustainable Homes, all those are frameworks for defining the parameters and helping us to clearly quantify what sustainability means in those contexts. So that's basically what Homestar is. And I did have three years working on Homestar as the technical manager and the new building design manager for the New Zealand Green Building Council. Fantastic opportunity to be part of that organization. It's doing some really, really great work. And that's part of my inspiration for doing this podcast today because there are some really significant challenges of getting something like Homestar up and running because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, opposition. There's no other way to put it. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of people that are scared about uh, Homestar and there are a lot of people who are actively campaigning for it not to be instated in any sort of mandatory way or be required as part of um, a building consent. And that is on the cards in both Auckland and in Christchurch at the moment. So as I said, Homestar is a comprehensive environmental rating tool. It works for new homes or existing homes. So whether you're designing a new house from scratch or if you're wanting to upgrade your existing house, house it was created initially for only detached and mostly existing houses, but it is now available for both um, detached and attached houses. So it works for apartments and also individual standalone houses. And as I mentioned, it works in the design phase and in the built phase. So you can get a rating on a design off the plan, and then you can carry that through. Once the house is completed, you can get a certificate to say this house is now at whatever score it gets. It's a 1 to 10 scale, and that's probably that does make it a little bit different from other building certifications around the place. We've got LEED, which is um, ha has various levels like gold, platinum. Um, Code for Sustainable Homes goes up through the grades. Green Star, it's probably um, its um, closest relative, which is the commercial rating tool, starts at, well, they technically it starts at three. There, There's a sort of pretend one, two, and three. St sorry, it starts at four. One, two, and three aren't rated if you, if you score there. So it, the, the actual rating only starts at four and then goes to four, five, and six. But Homestar, the residential rating tool for New Zealand, goes all the way from 1 right up to 10, um, in terms of the score, that is. So code compliance, we say, is about a rating of 4. And what's been uh, written into the draft unitary plan in Auckland and also in uh, the, the district plan draft district plan in Christchurch is the target of six home star. 
And I'll come back a little bit to what that actually means. But before we go on to that, there are six categories within the Homestar tool, and they align fairly closely to the Code for Sustainable Homes, if you're familiar with that at all in the UK. And that in turn is also quite similar to other rating tools like LEED um, in the US. The primary outtake from those categories is it's not just an energy rating tool. Energy, health and comfort forms about half of the whole tool. So energy is definitely part of that, but it's not just about the energy consumption. It's also about how well the indoor environment uh, is maintained at a healthy level. So we're not interested in just houses that are going to be really, really low consumers of energy. We also want them to be warm, dry and comfortable and healthy on the inside. So energy, health and comfort are about half of the points that are available, which is 100, 100 in total. So um, 48 of those are to do with energy, health and comfort. The next biggest category is water. So the more water efficient your house is, then the more points you'll get in that category. And then moving on down the other, the rest of the categories, there's one for waste, and that's both waste inside the house, but also construction waste, which is a, a really big problem, certainly in New Zealand and, and no in other countries as well. Um, management, and that's all about how well you know your house and how easy it is to maintain. Products and materials is also a really big category, and that's things like uh, having non-toxic materials and also having environmentally sourced or eco-preferred materials, so um, with labels like um, Environmental Choice, ISO 14001, Forest Stewardship Council, those types of uh, third-party accreditations. And then finally, site. So that includes the area immediately around your house, like the landscaping and how good your, how green your garden is, how um, uh, how good your drainage is on site, but also the proximity to amenities, because there's nothing, there's no point in having your uber green eco house out in the middle of nowhere, where firstly you've got a really big long commute to either get to a place of work or to buy food, and also to connect with the rest of the community. So those six categories again: energy, health, and comfort, water. Waste, management, products, materials, and site. And all this information is on the Homestar website, and I'll put lots of links in the show notes at homestylegreen.com slash 89, and you can check out all the information you could ever want to know about Homestar. So that's what it is. Now, moving on to why, and I've got two reasons why... Uh, no, call it three. Three reasons why I think Homestar is needed. Firstly is the code's not good enough. The building code is not going to look after you. And I, I've done an episode on this. If you go and check out episode 35, I did a whole cast and a post on why you can't rely on the New Zealand building code. And I would suspect, and I have discussed this with the people from around the world, that we're not alone there. There are some things that the code does very well, but it's not there as a sustainability measure. It's there to protect the immediate structure of the house usually and to to guard against things like poor craftsmanship, poor uh, design, 
uh, leakiness, those kind of immediate issues that people will need to protect themselves from professionally, but it's not really going to push the boat out in terms of um, energy efficiency or even, I would argue, in the in the case in the New Zealand Building Code, isn't going to guarantee buildings that are fit for purpose in terms of producing a really healthy place to be. So that's the first reason why something like Homestar, I believe, is really needed. Following on from that, it's a way to verify what is actually done because it's all well and good to design something, but how do you know that it's actually being built? And you can argue again that that's what the code should do, but there's plenty of evidence to say uh, and to show that, um, particularly in our um, regulatory environment, things like insulation don't always get the attention they deserve to, and, and the attention that to detail that is needed to make it perform the way it should do. So there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that our buildings aren't constructed um, adequately enough according to how they're drawn or designed. So verification is another reason, and that independence of that verification is also really important. It's also true for that uh, design phase as well, just getting a third party to to review a plan because anyone can sort of market something as a as an eco house or a efficient house, sustainable house, but how do you quantify that? And that's the power of any rating tool for a building, not just Homestar, but LEED, Code for Sustainable Homes. It quantifies and verifies that claim. And then thirdly, marketing. Homestar is just... Really, it's a marketing tool. It's a communication tool. So it sets the benchmark and then it provides a a transferable number that enables a whole bunch of details to be communicated in a relatively simple um, fashion. And um, that does require lots of market awareness for people to understand what that number means. And it also requires the infrastructure of professionals to be able to provide that service, but it also it requires a bit of uptake from people like the real estate industry and councils and um, and just the general public as well to buy into it. And for those reasons, I think it's really important that Homestar gets a, a bit of a leg up and, and gets started and gets pushed out into the marketplace to, to really get it going. So talked a little bit now about what it is and why, and I really want to move on to how much. So there's an article in Stuff that I read this morning that basically gave quite a lot of airtime to some people who were campaigning, and this included architects actually, and they were campaigning against Homestar on the basis that it would incur a $15,000 cost add-on to new homes, and housing affordability is a is a huge issue, kind of everywhere at the moment, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. So it's very easy to point to things like Homestar and say, "Oh, well, we can't have that. There's no place for it because what we need right now is houses, and we need lots of them, and we need lots of them quickly." I think that's incredibly short sighted, and. I also understand that concern around anything that's going to 
potentially add costs. And I think it's also quite right for well-educated and trained people to be questioning anything that is is potentially going to impact on their their process. And that's arguably what uh, what architects and other people are doing. But we need to balance up some of the claims that are made and the concerns that have been raised by um, those people who are, who are opposing Homestar in the context of being required for new homes in places like Christchurch and Auckland, where there is a demand and there's going to be a demand for housing. Um, so this is why what's motivated me to to talk about this today to address some of these issues and look at that cost of $15,000. Now, the best place to go for some information about the potential costs of Homestar are actually the Homestar website. And I'll put a link to an article that appeared on the newsroom in the media uh, section of the Homestar website back in September of 2013. In this article, there appears two studies that were done not by Homestar, but one by Jazmax, which was a construction cost study, and a follow-up research paper done by eCubed, which looked at the cost-benefit analysis of some of the costings done by Jazmax. So Jazmax is a big architectural firm. They basically pulled apart a standard three-bedroom, 180-square-metre hypothetical house uh, put in Auckland. And they went right through the list of points in all six categories and said, if we take this existing house, which we'll, we'll assume is code compliant at, and we'll rate it at a, we'll assume it's a four uh, Homestar rating, which is a, is a fair assumption. If we then take it to a five, six, and then a seven, what would be the incremental costs of doing that? And the key finding is was that to get it to a six star would cost just under six and a half thousand dollars. So we're starting there at less than half of the claimed fifteen thousand um, dollars. Be that as it may, um, they said six and a half thousand. Now, in the detail of that, that includes. Uh, quite a big chunk of that, in fact, included a rainwater tank, which isn't actually a requirement for a six homestar. Now, I should just backstep a little bit here because um, a homestar, like some of these other rating tools as well, is non-prescriptive. And that means that there are multiple ways of achieving six homestar, providing you achieve some certain thresholds or some. Th there are certain things in there which are compulsory, but many of the credits, most of them, uh, are not. And rainwater tanks are not. So it's questionable whether Jazmax chose the cheapest option, but I think it's a fair analysis because they may have overestimated some aspects and underestimated some others. So let's assume for the purpose of this conversation that 6500 is a reasonable estimate if you take an existing house plan and then add things to it to get to a six home star up from a four home star. Um, now, I'm not going to talk too much in this cast about the cost benefit which EQ did because that's that's kind of a no brainer to me. Um, I think 
the additional investment of 16000 is is actually quite good when you look at the downstream benefits. I would go so far as to say even if it does cost you 15000 uh, like the objectors of the article in the, in, the, in the press said, then I think that's actually quite a good investment too, given that you're going to go from a, a code-compliant house, which I think in somewhere like Christchurch is not fit for purpose, uh, and you're going to create a warm, dry, comfortable home. But now I'm talking about what I said I was going to talk about, which is cost and benefit. So back to just focusing on the costs. The analysis that Jasmax did, I think, was quite thorough because they went through every single credit in there and looked at what are the likely costs of these going to be. And they went to a an independent uh, quantity survey to get those costs. So on the plus side, it was a robust quantitative study. You could potentially argue that on the negative side, it was hypothetical. It was a desktop study, and they are not... Jasmax are a, are a very good, well-recognized, very well-established architectural practice, and they operated throughout the whole of New Zealand, and they're very, very experienced. You could argue that if you gave that same exercise to a volume house builder or or perhaps a a small builder they might come up with a different value because just through experience of going through the design procurement and building process um, on a daily basis they might might come up with some different numbers but be that as it may um, that's what they came up with so that process was subsequently repeated and um also critiqued by Christchurch City Council and the number was actually slightly less um, for that second second time round. But there's some pretty good figures there, $6,500, which equated to about just, under, just over 2% of the bill cost. So that's, I think, not too bad of a, um, an add-on. But here's the thing. You could argue that that whole methodology is completely flawed. And this comes back to the principles that were discussed by all three of the people I mentioned at the top of this uh, podcast, Richard Buchanan, John Taylor, and um, Elrond Burrell. They all made the points, and other people have made these points as well on the show, that it's kind of a fundamentally flawed question to say how much extra does it cost to be sustainable or energy efficient or whatever you want to call it. Because the far better way of approaching this is to start with the end in mind. And the way I like to think about it is if you have $500,000 to build your house, then you're going to build a house for $500,000. And a group home builder put this to us quite eloquently when we were trying to sell him the, the idea of, of Homestar a year or so ago. He said, if, if so, he said just that. If someone's got approval from their bank for $400,000, $500,000, let's say it's, it's $500,000 total cost, they don't have $505,000. So there's no point in saying that they can add $5,000 to that. They have $500,000. But here's the thing. We know from the designers that we've spoke to on the show, you can design a very good and build a very good house 
for that price, but you just need to start with the end in mind. It's no good taking an existing plan that's probably a little bit flawed and trying to add things to it and then come in under budget and also improve the performance. That's just not going to work. So what's the approach? Well, here's my four steps to the Homestar process. And I think this is probably true for just good design. So number one, start with the end in mind. In terms of Homestar, that means knowing what your target is. If you're aiming for a six Homestar, then that's the target. And sure, you've got some other parameters in there, like how many bedrooms do you need? And that should be how many bedrooms do you actually need, not how many do you want, or how many have you been told that you want uh, or, or should have for resale. It's how many do you actually need. But start with that end goal in mind. So six Homestar, let's say, is the target. Number two, resource adjustment factor. That's the technical term in Homestar, but it's basically how big do you need to build your house. Homestar penalizes big houses, but on the flip side, it rewards compact design or smaller homes. And that's all to, it's not just about the resources that are going to be required to build that house. It's also thinking about how much is that house going to cost to run? How expensive is it going to heat uh, to be to heat all that space that you, you're building? And so often we're pushed down a, a pathway of building bigger and bigger houses, biggering and biggering as the thorax so eloquently puts it. So think about how big you actually need and in Homestar, in the Homestar context, the resource adjustment factor is basically a ratio of the number of bedrooms and the floor area. Um, and like I said, you will be rewarded in Homestar. So the, the, by far the easiest way to achieve six Homestar is to build a modest size house. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be a tiny pokey shoebox. It just means that it shouldn't be a 250 square meter house with only two bedrooms in it. Number three, wraps, taps, and gaps. Now, I've I've talked about wraps, taps, and gaps before, and I'll put a link in the show notes, but that's basically getting the fundamentals right. So doing the insulation, and not I'm not talking about looking at the code. I'm talking about putting decent amounts of good insulation, also paying close attention to the all-important details like thermal bridges, um, joins, um, seals around doors and windows and getting your ventilation right as well. So wraps, taps and gaps. Um, water efficiency does come into that as well because there's a uh, a couple of required uh, credits or some mandatory minimums to do with water efficiency, but they're very, very easy to do. So they, they're not going to break the budget either. They're doing things like putting in water-efficient shower heads and water efficient uh, star rate wells water efficiency water efficiency labeling scheme that's wells rated toilets taps and showers very very easy to do and then number 4 uh is to go shopping and this is kind of the fun bit at the end of going right through the tool and looking at all the credits that are available and this is where things like your rainwater tank or your solar um, water heating, um, 
even having a washing line, simple things like that. This, that's where all those little things come in. And each of those can contribute to some small amount, a number of points to add up to your required score to get a six-star rating of 60 points. So that's pretty much it. Um, those steps again. Number one, start with the end in mind. Number two, find out your resource adjustment factor because that will affect the total score that you need to get. Number three is wraps, taps, and gaps. And then number four, go shopping for points. And if you follow that process primarily with starting with the end in mind, I guarantee that you'll be able to build a six home star for either very little investment or for no additional investment because the additional part of that will just vaporize. It becomes meaningless, as in the same uh, way it becomes meaningless when you're wanting to build a passive house on a fixed budget. It's not about how much extra it's going to be. It's how much do you have and what are the priorities for your build. That's pretty much it that I wanted to cover today. Um, I've I've talked about that for longer than I intended, but I am quite passionate about this, and I know that there's going to be a bit of debate about this. It is an important issue. It's happening right now, um, and if you want to get involved, then check, have a look online. There are some hearings going on um, for the entry plan here in Auckland, and also there will be some discussion and consultation going on in Christchurch. Whatever ends up happening with that, though, I think it's worth um, really considering these factors as just good design. And if you're looking at wanting to build a better place to live, think about it from how much budget you have to spend and what you want the end result of that house to be. That's it for me for this week. Hope you found that useful. If you've got any questions about Homestar, then love uh, to answer them for you. Get in touch. You can email me, matthew at homestargreen.com. And don't forget to check out Nodora. You can find them at nodora.com or energyefficientbuilding.co.nz. Go and say good day to Chevy or Jeremy and tell them Matthew sent you over there. That's it for now. Thanks very much for tuning in and uh, look forward to speaking to you again next week. Now go make a better place to live.